think we want to be very thankful of the support that one of us has gotten over the past couple of weeks, <laughs> and we have a big update to give you. Lucas, go ahead. The nightmare's over, folks. WestJet, it's been uh, a hard, what, 17 days? Uh, 17 days? Or wait, my math's a little bit off. What is it, the 28th? I got back on Yeah. The, yeah, okay, my math's way off. See, I can't even do math <laughs> right. I've been so anguished with grief, Will. Um, sorry, it, it's closer to, uh, like, oh, I don't know. It's, I, it's, it's the 28th now we're recording this, and it, it got lost on the 13th. But yes, not to make you wait any longer, folks. My luggage is safe and sound. WestJet returned my luggage. Yay. Um, so, you know, but the war is not over, Will. That's just the battle. Now oh. I have to get reimbursed for the $300 they owe me for, uh, you know, the things I had to buy that I couldn't wait to replace uh, while I was waiting for my luggage. They do have a reimbursement program, but knowing WestJet, we'll see how long that takes. I waited on hold for three hours today to <laughs> ensure oh. that my receipts had been received because their form, you got to sign for the reimbursement. There's a little spot for you to add your receipts, okay? And I took pictures of all my receipts, but they were all three megabytes. And oh, yeah. the minimum picture size, or the maximum picture size, rather, was two megabytes, okay? Oh, come so on. So I had to run the receipts through a, uh, like image compression tool. And I, the whole time I was thinking, man, if I could barely do this, imagine Grandpa can't find... Yeah, can't, seriously. Get to his, his, his WestJet form. Anyway, I figured out you could email it to them. Uh, and after emailing all my receipts and staying on hold for three hours, uh, it's looking like we'll have my $300 by the end of the week. But let's see. We'll wait and see. So I still need the magic of the Elwood City Limits faithful uh, to help me recoup those costs. Send him your energy. Well, I'm glad that uh, at least we could keep you morally supported. Thank you. Uh, in the last in the last two weeks, it makes it all worth it. Welcome everybody. It's Elwood City Limits, the Episodic Arthur Podcast. My name's Will Young. That's Lucas Mancini, who now has his uh, luggage back, and hopefully his three hundred dollars will be on the way very soon. <laughs> I, I joke, uh, but yeah. uh, even better than the three hundred dollars. I know you mentioned this in the in the mid episode break, but folks, it's nomination time for the best of Halifax awards. Uh, oh, right. And so yes, thank you. if you're listening to this, uh, head on over to, is it coast.ca slash vote or is it vote.coast.ca? I should figure that out. Uh, I'm going to figure that out. But um, basically, uh, it's our local uh, alt weeklies, you know, best of the city. Uh, and we are, of course, a Halifax podcast. You know, we, we just recently interviewed a legendary Halifax figure, the, the VH, uh, the Betabax King, almost misnamed him. Um, so, uh, ensure that you, if you like the show, the best way to support us besides subscribing to the Patreon is to go to vote.thecoast.ca, go to the, uh, podcast section, um, and, uh, say Elwood City Limits is your favorite podcast. And if it asks you for a, uh, for a zip code, <laughs> just look up a McDonald's in Halifax and say you live there. <laughs> Well, I haven't had anybody n note any problems. We've had we've had people from Canada and I believe from the U.S. Uh, also nominate us, which thank you everybody for doing that. But um, I, I haven't heard of anybody encountering any snafus or Listen, they do anything that, for a reason, that would preclude so them from doing that. It can't hurt. 
you know, there's lots of McDonald's here. So just hit up, hit up the Halifax McDonald's uh, uh, postal code uh, just to be safe. So yes, vote.thecoast.ca. Uh, you'll have to register with your email, name, and postal code or zip code. Then nominate Elwood City Limits under Best Podcast in the Music and Culture section. And if you do that, send us a message on either email or social media to let us know that you nominated and we can thank you uh, properly. And so the nomination, as as it has been with all these other years, that's going to be step one. We're going to need another resurgence, hopefully in a few months when we are nominated, for step two, which is voting. But we'll get to that. First, we have to get nominated. So vote.thecoast.ca, please, and thank you. And we also thank our emailers who have sent us a couple of messages over the past couple of weeks at elwoodcitylimits at gmail.com. We're going to start off with this one from Bluge Agua, longtime <laughs> listener. Dear Will, Lucas, and Mike, you guys are awesome, except Mike. I love listening to your podcast, especially when you get deep into the animal hierarchy. A couple of weeks ago in the Is What I Say episode, that was with uh, Jason, Jason Schwimmer, you mentioned an extra layer of the animal hierarchy. So funny animals, anthropomorphic animals who wear clothes, Regular animals that can communicate to babies and other regular animals, but not the funny adult-slash-non-baby animals, and meaningless animals, like the fly that was eaten by Mr. Toad. But I have a thought that may make your head explode. Remember the lice in Season 5, or Pepe the Flea? The last louse was killed, spoiler alert, at the end of the episode, repeatedly crying out, Help me! And we know that they had emotions and a rich inner life unknown to the funny animals. On the other hand, Mei Lin wanted Binky wanted Binky to kill Pepe when she first met him because he was a bug. So where would these two fall in the anor- the animal hierarchy? Hmm. We, okay, so <laughs> how do we tackle easy. this anymore? Pepe's easy because the the babies yeah. and the dogs communicate with Pepe. So so Pepe. So he's on the same tier uh, as the dogs and the babies. Now we never saw the fleas interact with anybody else besides the fleas. So mm-hmm. we, we got a big question mark on the fleas and we can't talk to them and ask them because the last one died on screen, uh, in a, in brutal fashion. Um, I'm trying to remember any others examples of this, of this kind of weird middle ground. Do you remember the episode when, of course, our, everybody remembers this classic Arthur episode where Arthur scrapes his knee on the lima bean can, um, oh, and yeah. we kind of get to see the inner workings of Arthur's antibodies. Like, yeah, but know. that was like a that was like a, a representation of what Brain was talking about. Okay. That was that was an imagination sequence. Okay. I wouldn't count that. Hmm. It's it's hard. To, it's really hard to say. I'm not sure uh, because where this begins, where this ends. I mean, you could drive yourself crazy. So um, very interesting uh, thought experiment, though. And we seem to have three classes of animals here that have different vari- variations of understanding and perhaps even souls. Also, this has been bugging me for the longest time about Arthur. Why didn't we see birds or reptiles represented in the main cast? I think the show could have benefited from an alligator or duck in the Arthur cast. Well, as we always like to bring up, there was that one, those couple of episodes in season one where they did have duck people, and then they just kind of never did again. It seemed to be a design that maybe they didn't really care for and didn't want to keep uh didn't want to keep around but yeah it's like especially when you watch a show today like BoJack Horseman which really goes um sometimes to extremes in fitting in animals into to an anthropomorphic kind of representation i imagine it was for the ease of the animators mm. and just because it is and and with BoJack Horseman a lot of those animals that you see that are um 
you know, besides horses and cats and like all those other things, or like if you see somebody who's a whale, you don't like see them all the time. It's like a one-time visual gag sometimes. So, um, yeah, my my guess would be just ease of animation and just maybe they just didn't end up liking the designs of the duck people or or whatever. Maybe they just di- maybe they just didn't like really vibe with them past the first season. It's tricky for the non-mammals, right? Because with the mammals, you basically just kind of draw a person and put some ears on them. Whereas mm-hmm. the ducks, like, a, a duck's head is so small in proportion to its body that when you make a duck have arms and legs like a human being, their head has to kind of get huge to match the rest of them. But then yeah. their head looks really big because we're not used to ducks' heads being that big. Um, so I kind of understand why they only really do it as a throwaway gag. Um, but I don't know, it'd be fun. You're right that I, I feel like with guests and stuff, they usually just go with the classic, you know, make a Matt Damon and throw some ears on him. Um, the, really the only animals these days where they kind of get outside the box are with the moose, the, the moose, I almost said mooses, the moose, like, <laughs> uh, like George or Art Garfunkel is kind of the most non-standard as far as the regular Arthur main cast animals get. Yeah, and I imagine with the ducks as well, it was probably like animating their bill was probably uh, a little bit more trouble than than it was worth. You don't really see ducks in the first season like talk very much. Like there's that one time, but that's from farther away. So I don't know. Apologies for the long email. Keep up the great work. P.S. I think that the falafel truck owner from Falafelosophy wins the title of throwaway character of the week. I agree with you, and I'm I think that's a good guess for uh, what Lucas's nomination would be. We got a couple here from Darkness Slayer X. Uh, you guys, okay, so you guys are always saying that you usually like DW, even though many other people hate her, I guess. But has it ever once crossed your minds that perhaps her character is designed to attract the viewer's hatred towards her? <laughs> I certainly can't think of a reason why the writers would make her such an utterly terrible sister to Arthur, if not to make her the character that the viewers would hate with a burning passion and therefore sympathize with Arthur more. Heck, she suggested to her dad that he should th- he should throw Arthur on the streets in Dad's Dessert Dilemma, which is just plain vile, even if she is just four years old. She actually used to be listed as a hate sink on TV tropes, but was later removed, which I don't agree with. So I think that the hate down for DW is I this feels a little this feels a little pointed. This feels a little <laughs> personal here. I gotta say, I don't feel that as many people absolutely hate DW. Like she's not She's not Caillou. Like we've talked about Caillou True. before, and there's there's a, still a huge hate them for Caillou. And by the way, uh, any of our patrons who haven't listened to our episode of for the kids of PBS Kids podcast on Caillou, check it out. You might be surprised by what you how you feel about Caillou uh, at the end of that one. But all all that to say. DW obviously has some negative traits to her and certainly doesn't end up in a great sense at the very, very end of Arthur, as we discussed this year. Um, But a lot of what she says is not meant to be taken seriously and usually isn't because she's four years old, especially with the comment of like, I know what you're talking about, of of of, uh, it's like it was Arthur's idea. Put him on the street first. And is this like obviously it's DW is often meant for humor. Yes. That's uh that's I think is her main role is that she's meant to uh evoke a lot of humor, especially I think for older viewers who um recognize that what she's saying is meant to be hyperbolic and um and all that sort of thing. 
I do know that, and and this comes up whenever we talk about Arthur's big hit. There's a very big like feeling of there's a lot of people who grew up with younger sisters, Lucas, you yourself included, mm-hmm. and that can lead to complicated feelings sometimes because not everybody is best friends with their siblings, or not everybody is even friendly with their siblings, and have a lot of. I think resentment towards a figure like DW who is uh, often kind of left unpunished versus Arthur or just kind of her, her, what she says is brushed aside, whereas Arthur is taken more seriously. But again, that has to do with the fact that like she's four years old and Arthur is double her age. So there's a lot more responsibility that comes his way. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I I was going to even say like the inverse of that is true as well. And that like, you know, because I had a younger sister, I know that, Sometimes kids say the darndest things, and sometimes, you know, yeah. kids can be petulant, and I'm like, some of y'all seem like you don't have younger uh, siblings, because, yeah, younger siblings are tyrants. They're 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 <laughs> annoying, and that's kind of, I find, what makes the DW character funny, in a way, because it's a representation of that. Uh, I think what we're getting... Di- oh, yeah, what were you saying? It's especially because, like, if you're around little kids... Like it, it, it was so funny having my niece be four years old and just be and just mentally like thinking to myself because I haven't had much experience with kids, but it just being like, oh, huh, she doesn't talk like DW at all. It's like, of course not. DW talks like she's a twelve-year-old, yeah. which is where a lot of the humor comes from. Of just like she has the same kind of attitude and moods as a four-year-old, but she's a lot more uh, erudite than they are, which makes it even more funny a lot of times. I like that you brought up Caillou, because I think there's a a telling comparison to be made. You know, for the uninitiated, uh, there's a concept in wrestling called X-Pac Heat, right? Ooh, Uh, yeah. In in wrestling, there's bad guys, the heels, and, and their job is to make you dislike them. But... Not to the extent that you want to turn off your television because they're so annoying you don't want to watch them on TV. And I think Caillou is an example of X-Pac heat. He's so annoying that it transcends the logic of the show and Mm -hmm. seeps into the reality where you're like, I just don't want to watch this show anymore. The difference with DW is that often when she's tormenting Arthur and being, I, I agree, she'll be cruel. She'll, she'll, you know, call for his, his, him to be uh, homeless and all this stuff. <laughs> um, but to me, that's funny. Like I get a kick out of it. Like the, oh, the, time. the more DW kind of leans into being this tyrant, being this nuisance, the more I'm kind of entertained because I think it's all really funny. Whereas with yes. a Caillou, there, there's not really like humor or like joke writing in it. It's just kind of him complaining and screeching and being annoying, which I think is way more annoying. When he's the protagonist of the show, and you're, it's a really difficult needle to thread a lot of times to like be able to show somebody as being dislikable while also keeping them as the main character in your show. I mean, especially in early in Arthur, like a lot of the. You know, you look at a lot of the material for Arthur or, or a lot of the way that it's pitched is like DW is, in a sense, as 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 our emailer said, meant to be perceived as a nuisance to Arthur. But, uh, you know, by the fact that this is a show that is meant to feature different viewpoints and broaden the depths of different characters, a lot of that kind of goes by the wayside after a while because DW ends up being a secondary protagonist to the to the fact of like now that we're watching Arthur in season 14 like DW gets her own episodes frequently and they're not they're you know they are meant for a certain subsection of the audience that I believe is around her age 
Uh, at least that's how they seem to be written. So I don't think she was written to be hated. I think that she was written to be a foil to Arthur, mm. which is much different. And, you know, there's there's few examples of people, you know, outside of professional wrestling, which we could name all day, I'm sure. But, you know, there's not many examples of characters that are meant to be like your, your reaction is meant to be revulsion. The one I think of is like Elmira from Tiny Toons, where it's like you're meant to dislike her and I the humor is from how annoying she is or that's what is intended but there's a you know there's a generation of people i'm guessing lucas probably you and me who watch tiny tunes or god help you pinky elmira and the brain who were like how is i hate this like i hate watching this why is this funny like i every time that elmira was on tiny tunes i would i would change the channel or just stop watching tv because i just didn't like her and i've never felt that i've almost never felt that way about dw and certainly not as an older uh, person who can take this a little less seriously. So interesting way to think about it, I suppose. The final note is just like, for me personally, like, like DW is mean, she's cruel, but to me it's less of like an annoying thing and more of like, you know, she's like, for lack of a better term, she's taking the piss out of those around her. Like there's no other characters (laughs) on Arthur with the exception of maybe Muffy that have quote unquote savage moments compilations on YouTube. Right. Like sometimes DW is like a Rodney Dangerfield type where she like walks (laughs) into the room and just starts taking apart all the people that are in it. Right. That's more so her role. And so to me, that's just good comedy. That's just funny. Sure. uh, That's, that's how I think of her. Because she can get away with it because she's younger. Exactly. And but but she but it's not like she never faces consequences. She does every now and then. So um, the other part to Darkness Slayer X's question uh, doesn't have to do with Arthur at all. What are your plans after you're done analyzing every episode of Arthur? Do you plan to start a podcast about another topic or retire from podcasting altogether? <laughs> I was originally going to answer this privately, but I figured that it's I think it's worth putting out there, and because it's not something we're hiding. Um, I have always had the internal philosophy with this show that as long as we're having fun, we'll keep doing it. And when it becomes not fun anymore, then we'll probably stop. And I just want to let everybody know, not uh, I almost want to say to prepare you, but it's just like, we're not ending anytime soon. Don't get me wrong. We're still having fun. We're still, we're still doing this. We're going to be trying new stuff eventually and around Elwood City limits and, you know, seeing if stuff works. You know, you try some new stuff, see if it works. But, yeah, I always felt that as long as we were both enjoying what we were doing and could find the time to have it in our lives, then we'll keep doing it until Arthur ends. And then when that happens, you know, we'll consider the road ahead. But I also just want to put it out there. You guys know how much Arthur is ahead of us. So there's a very real possibility that we may not finish it all. And I just want to say that, you know, we're going to try. But be prepared for this to not be a complete Arthur covering of seasons 1 to 25. We're all going to have to be okay with that <laughs> if that's where it comes to. So who knows right now? Sure. Like, we're, we're going to keep going ahead. We're going to keep trucking. And we'll see is, is, what, I, is what I will say. But also... Be prepared for this to not be, you know, a comprehensive episode, like complete episode guide to Arthur. That would be awesome, but that's going to require years and years of more work. 
So yeah, yeah, we'll a lot can happen. A lot can happen in even just one year. We'll see how bad those flash episodes are. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, a lot of it's going to depend on that. But no, not to be all doom and gloom. You know, I, I think I totally agree with Will that uh, it's completely predicated on how much fun we're having. We're still having fun today. I was thinking to myself. I'm looking forward to talking about these two Arthur episodes. Um, yeah. As long as I still have that feeling, you know, we'll we'll do it. Uh, so, and then, hey, maybe we do finish all of Arthur and we still have that feeling and then we got to find something else, which, you know, remains to be seen. Um, but, uh, yeah, don't be sad that it's over, folks. Be happy that it's happened. And right now it's happening. We're talking about Arthur. Oh, yeah. This isn't going anywhere. At least we're not planning for it to go anywhere yeah. immediately. Live in the moment. Next one's from, what's that? Oh, I just said, you got to live in the moment. You know, Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Next one's from Eric from New Jersey. The episode Around the World in 11 Minutes, probably the most Rugrats I've ever seen from the Pal-Kate universe. The cut between fantasy and real-life scenes definitely feels like how the Rugrats formula felt. Down to Nemo basically being an Angelica archetype as the foil to the main four. This week's episode, Arthur Unravels, is an episode I've been waiting for, mainly for that one fantasy scene that everyone memes about. The question may have been asked before, but who is a guest star you wished would have been on Arthur? For me, it has to be Weird Al. Mm. He already cameoed in a lot of animated shows as himself or playing a similar character. I always thought an episode with him and Buster would work so well. If you remember the song My Brain from Arthur's Really Rockin' Music Mix, to me it sounds exactly like a Weird Al song and would fit right in the show. Take care and have a great day. I'm sure we've talked about this question in some regard before and I'm I apologize I'm I'm never terribly good on the spot but Weird Al is a, a really a really good one I feel like semi recently I was like I wish the show had been around for this person but I can't remember who that would have been Was it Stavros Halkius? <laughs> <laughs> um no <laughs> he he would play the bra- Okay I, a couple of weeks back someone was asking about our live action casting there's a biggie right there that's a big deal if I ever saw one. We'd have to give I him guess. lifts to make him taller, I guess. But he's a little, he's a little too chill to be Binky. On a mean streak, we got to get him. Yeah, I guess he needs to be a little bit more of a uh, Binky's pretty chill these days. I suppose. Um, okay, celebrity. Like, I feel like there's a lot of musicians that we could have tapped into, especially like when you think about some of the guests we've had, like Frank Gary. Yeah, where it's just like. Who cares? Like, no, no disrespect to Frank Gary, but it's also just like, this is a kid's show. Like, what are we doing? I know it's probably the PBS connection. Um, but I feel like there were a lot of I, musicians and kind of people who are more active, like now, or were active. Pat, like, I almost wish, you know, you could take somebody like, um, I don't know, like a, like a Billie Eilish. I know she's been on The Simpsons, but like, it would be cool to see like what she what she would do, and and they have had. I think that's a, another thing is that Arthur often, you know, I know I kind of uh, laughed about Frank Gehry, but they have had a lot of non like celebrity yeah. guest stars. Like I like I Ooh. think about, in even in the later years, they've had like really important people guest star on the show. And like really bucking the whole thing of like they have to be celebrities or nobody will care. And I gotta like, get one. No, they've yeah. Werner Herzog. <laughs> I think I'm I'm sure we've talked about this. This is from me going through like all of the the episodes again to put on YouTube. I'm certain we've talked about how we wish Werner Herzog was on the show. I think maybe that's my answer too. <laughs> okay, I mean it's just you could picture him be like, what what with the animals. Going on for us, but the other animals, they stand. Oh, in, in, 
Oh, and he knows he's in a cartoon. Yeah. He, well, he would just be asking. Yeah, and he's asking questions. He's like, why, why, why does the bunny speak? <laughs> why, why Let's do, go with. Ver- why, why does the bunny eat such disgusting things? What what is about the bunny that makes him eat this so? Let's let's go with Werner Herzog for now. I think that's a good safety answer. If I think of anything else, I'll let you know. It, it, like, the listener earlier, he'd be like, "Why why is the little girl so annoying?" <laughs> <laughs> DW and Werner Herzog, man, that's where we really missed a trick there. Next one's from Amity. Hello, Will, Lucas, and Mike. Thinking back to the old podcast episodes, I remember you two have some str- super strange and baffling music tastes. Not liking Bare Naked Ladies. Wonderwall? Come on, guys. These are great songs. Okay. Like, I'm sure we've clowned on Wonderwall in the six years we've been doing this. Did I ever say... Or, or is that you? That's Did, me. Do you I, don't, not, I like, don't like Wonderwall. And I like Oasis. I just hate the song Wonderwall. I will say this, no, but, though. No, bare, no Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, like, bare do naked you not ladies? like them? I, I think that must have been a jest because, like, I like to make okay. fun of Bare Naked Ladies. You know, Chickity oh, China, sure. the Chinese chicken. But, yeah. you know, Bare Naked Ladies is... We're Canadian, Will. We have to, at a certain point, just accept that it's in our our culture. Like, there's a a Bare Naked Ladies song about how much they don't like Halifax. Like, we just gotta (laughs) embrace Bare Naked Ladies fandom. Like, I I don't know. I, 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 it's, it's definitely, a friend of mine came up with this concept, and I think it rings true, that there is a you know, category of music called annoying music. And just because a music is okay. annoying doesn't mean it's bad. Uh, and for example, I challenged him on that. I was like, okay, well, like, what's an example of, like, good annoying music? And he said, Animal Collective. And I was like, oh, damn, that's definitely true. <laughs> uh, another example would be, like, Blade, right? Like, <laughs> there's a category of music the... that's, like, annoying. I don't know any of these people. You should look these up afterwards, Will, and you'll be like, wow, Lucas was right. This is good, but also it's really annoying. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and I think I think Bare Naked Ladies uh, is firmly in that category, where it is... Like, you could really annoy someone by playing one week and over and over again, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's a bad song. No, I mean, I like I like BNL fine, so if I ever said anything to the contrary, I, you know, I don't know what, what I was saying. Wonderwall, I mean, eh, it's... Look, it's it's fine. It's just got overplayed. It's it's unfortunately it's it belongs to the ages now in the worst mm-hmm. way. Uh, check out Neil C.C. Riga's uh, Wonderwall, but with all the vowels taken out. Like, just look that up on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a scream. It's really funny. Um, Amity continues. Is there any non-Arthur or PBS related show you've been checking out, like Owl House or Amphibia? Um, and if there was an Arthur version of Knives Out, who would play who? Okay, let's start with any. Non-Arthur or PBS-related shows you've been checking out. So I, my my wife Jenna got Amazon Prime. Well, I guess we both did. Um, so I've been looking through a couple of shows on there. I watched all of Invincible. I liked that. That was, that was good. I watched, a, no, I watched the first two seasons of The Boys. It's fine. Like, I thought it was, I thought it was okay. Like, I don't really feel anything about it is the problem. Um, I, we also, my wife and I are secret, uh, purge heads. We are, we, we really like the purge <laughs> movies. So we watched the first two episodes of the purge series that is on Amazon prime. It was, you know, 
It's not especially good, but we might come back to it. And I'm also, I watched the first two episodes of The Stand, the uh, update of it from 2020, Stephen King's The Stand. Again, it's like, it's fine. (laughs) But I am also like, you know what? I think I actually liked that uh, mid-90s, like, six-hour television event Mm. uh, a little bit better. So that's what I've been watching uh, TV-wise. Lucas? Uh, I don't really watch TV. Uh, I mean, I've been watching AEW Dynamite every Wednesday. Um, oh, yeah, me too. Uh, it's It continues to be... Uh, even when I don't like it, I'm like, wow, there's good wrestling every week? This must have been what it was like in the 90s or something. This is crazy. It's, it's mostly uh, it's mostly a real treat. Um, the other thing, uh, I, I started watching Spy Family, the anime. Um, oh yeah, and that is really that. Del- it's 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 really good because my big problem with modern anime has been that it's it's kind of infantilizing and there's uh, an over importance on teenaged and younger than teenage characters and the older I get the more unrelatable it becomes. And Spy yeah. Family is a great balance because it's about a family and so there's the main guy who's of course an adult spy but they still get their kind of moe cute stuff in with the little girl so it's a good balance. Um, right. And so I found that show really refreshing. Uh, and it's also not a show about a guy getting hit by a car and going into another world, which every anime seems to be these days. So uh, it's really been a, a breath of fresh air. Um, your beloved, your beloved isekai. Uh, yeah, right. Uh, and then, I mean, the last show I watched that I really liked was uh, How to with John Wilson, which we talked about last week. Yeah, I've been, I've been yeah, watching right. a lot of Top Gear. <laughs> I've been no. getting into Top Gear and watching all the old Top Gear specials and watching the Grand Tour, uh, but that's not really new TV. So yeah, yeah. I don't. I also don't really watch a lot of TV. Like I'm really seeding more into movies and TV. Honestly, like I'm, I'm a little over it. So it's not something I do all the time. I actually watch a lot more YouTube than I do TV. That's kind of supersede TV for me. Uh, Arthur version of Knives Out. I just that just really makes me want. Um, Daniel Brochu to uh, like record some of Daniel Craig's lines in the Buster voice and just try to say I just want to see what his uh, Kentucky accent sounds like. Mm. I feel like Brain would be the one to say to everybody, or I guess maybe I just want him to so he can be the Chris Evans role. Um, oh gosh, like I watched this semi recently, uh, so I'm just trying to remember all the parts. Um, what's her uh, What's her name? Anna De Armas. Who's the most likable character on the show? Um, <laughs> uh, probably, probably Sue Ellen. Uh, yes, I can see true. Sue Ellen That's going into that fit. role. Um, and then um, the kid, <laughs> the the neo Nazi kid. Um, I don't know. I guess maybe some people want that to be DW. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It's a good question. Um, I would actually really welcome our listeners if you have any fan casting for the Arthur remake of Knives Out. Uh, please let us know. That's kind of my off the cuff thoughts there. Thanks, Amity. Last one here from Funith. Uh, this is about one of your recent episodes reviewing Buster Baxter in the Letter from the Sea, particularly that bit where Arthur says he'll help Buster out with the labor if it meant they could do something together. I related to that real hard because it reminded me of whenever my best friend asks me for help with chores, either personal or family-related, I'm more than happy to do it since it means we can hang out and I can escape from my house. Are there any other bits in the show that get to you in such a way? So, like, bits from the show that you relate to on a personal on a personal level, um, there's so many. There's there's so many specific moments that it could be. Like I I I think I'll I would generally say that 
the moments where the kids are especially nice to each other, especially in like really tense scenarios are really like, they don't remind me necessarily of my childhood, but there's such an idealization of, of kids that it really warms my heart. Like I think immediately about like when Arthur split his pants and then Binky just like shielded him away and just like (laughs) completely took charge of that situation. Like, I think that's really sweet. Uh, and he like didn't Arthur didn't ask for help and Binky just gave yeah. him help and it was just, it was cool that it was Binky too you know I guess my example of that would be any time that uh, uh, Arthur and DW like team up against their parents like when they put their differences aside I've mentioned it before the show but me and my sister have the exact same age gap uh, as Arthur and DW and so you know that reminded me of many moments from my own life of of you know putting our uh, sometimes the enemy of my enemy is my friend and us putting our differences aside to team up against our parents. I think I'll also say that the moment of, and I know that a lot of people relate to this, but you know, the moment of Buster leaving uh, in the second season, it it does hit home because it reminds you of all the times that, you know, when you were younger and a friend had to leave to go to another school or just moved away And it also just reminds you that, like, that moment of Arthur chasing after the car doesn't happen in real life, usually. They either leave and you get to say goodbye, or they leave and you never do. And I'm not sure which one is worse. So that that, that one definitely affects me, as I'm sure as it does many other people. Thanks, everybody, for your emails. ElwoodCityLimits at (laughs) gmail.com. That ran a bit longer than I thought, so... Uh, not to uh, give them any less respect, but let's quickly do talk about our patrons at patreon.com slash Limits. We just had a great episode of For the Kids, a PBS Kids podcast, which is our Patreon-exclusive podcast, talking about other shows on PBS Kids. We were talking about the Berenstain Bears, everything to do with the Berenstain Bears. I had a really good time recording that. I think we both did, and if you want to check it out, you just have to sign up. It's pay what you want, and you can become one of our patrons just like new patrons, Sid Ups, Wolf Lover Zodiac, and Ash. We also have great patrons in their own right, like Shanna Keegan, Uriel Underwood, Josh and Dallow, Katie and Laura Ashley, Ricardo A. Soto, Infra90, Wags, Charlie Heckman, Gabby S. We have three pages now? Oh, my God. God, I'm, usually I have to wait to go to the second page, and now I have three to choose from. Uh, Greenhouse Vinyls, Sydney Long, we have Marlo Stanfield, and we have Jake Bailey, and Light Relentless, and I'm going to go to the very last page. I think there might be just one person on there, and if it isn't our friend, it's loading, it's loading, it's loading. Yes, I know I said we have to get to the episode. It's Leanne S. Of course it is. Uh, So cool. Now we have three pages of patrons. Thanks, everybody. We really appreciate your support, and we have a lot to show for it if you join us at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Dozens and dozens of hours of extra ECL content. Okay, so today we're talking about Arthur Unravels in Season 14. This one starts, okay, it wasn't where I thought it was going to. We're going to get to where I thought it was going to start uh, later, I suppose. With Arthur, Buster, and Binky as scientists and explorers who are looking for the Temple of Zutamano. I believe that was how they pronounced it. Um, and it seems to be, it almost reminded me of, this is not really my reference to make, but Legends of the Hidden Temple? Yeah. Reminded me of 
Olmec a little bit? Is that his name? Yes, I believe it is Olmec. It, that, Legends of, a Him- of the Hidden Temple, I think, is more of an American phenomenon. Um, yeah. I only really know about it from, like, yeah, American podcasters talking about it as a, right. a standard <laughs> in their youth. Um, yeah. But I've absorbed, absorbed enough of it via context clues to think that that's kind of what this is like. So they eventually are on the run uh, after disturbing this temple, and they want to escape over a chasm, and... Uh, Buster and Binky using very pointed language here. If only we had a bit of rope, or if we had some kind of clothing, like maybe a scarf. They want to escape via a scarf. But Arthur, so he has knitting materials, including a scarf in his backpack, but he doesn't want to admit that he has them, so it potentially leaves them in a perilous situation, and we never get the resolution to that. Thankfully, it's just a fantasy. The episode has to do with uh, Arthur discovering knitting. So Grandma Thora... Uh, when they are inside on a rainy day, demonstrates knitting to Arthur and DW. And Arthur is at first a little reluctant about it, but he ends up showing an aptitude for, for it. So first of all, um, when they're inside on a rainy day, they are watching the TV. And at first I thought they were doing a thing where like the rain or the wind was interfering with like the antenna or something, you know, that old chestnut that used to be in cartoons. But no, they've actually updated it they now know the pain Arthur and DW do of scratch DVDs that go all the way back to the beginning when you try to play them. I thought this is great. Yeah, this is very much like making me feel like a quote-unquote elder millennial moment, right? Like, yeah. oh, kids, there used to be scratch. The DVD would be scratched, and you would and like the moment where. Um, they're talking about like it played a little bit further this time. Uh, that's yeah. <laughs> really the pain of like some weird thing would happen with scratch DVDs where it doesn't quite go back at the same part every time. And so you hope in your heart of hearts, it's like, oh, we're, we're going a little bit further this time. Like maybe we'll see the rest of the movie. And then it goes back. <laughs> yeah. Cause, and then usually what happens is you have to skip that scene altogether. There's just dead zones of certain DVDs that you own. And especially happens, you know, I get DVDs from the library all the time and those can be just in any condition and so sometimes it's just like ah we gotta skip this scene altogether or else it'll just ruin ruin our watching experience even more so so i thought that was a great reference so yeah we get a little bit of a tutorial here from grandma thor of like the basics of knitting i have to be honest even after they like a children's show explained it to me via explanation description and uh visual visually i kind of still don't get knitting i don't really get how it's supposed to work i think i might be too dumb for it yeah it is one of those things where when you don't understand the mechanics it's just like that's not real that's magic or whatever you're just yeah you're you're casting some sort of spell though i will say (laughs) this um to skip ahead uh when they do the knit did you see the words from us kids this week I did, yeah. The Word From Us Kids tutorial is the closest I've ever been to understanding the actual mechanics of knitting. Uh, Not Mm. so much this one that Grandma Thora gives, but later on when we actually see a kid talk about, and I never realized that there was like instructions and like (laughs) uh, uh, different code names for the different types of uh, stitching or whatever. Uh, That's the most I've ever understood knitting. It feels like when you're trying to learn how to tie your shoes and people are explaining to you how to do it, but until you actually understand the the physicality that goes into tying your shoes, like the explanation kind of doesn't, it's, it's almost meaningless, you know? Um, so I feel like I'm at that point with knitting. Um, so yeah, Arthur's a little bit reluctant. He thinks it might be a little boring, but Grandma references, so I thought this was a historical character or a historical figure. Uh, a woman named Madame Defarge, 
who encoded secret messages in her knitting. And that's true, but Madame Defarge, and thanks again to the Arthur Wiki for this assist, is a character from Charles Dickens's A Tale of Two Cities. And while she did encode secret messages in her knitting, she's not really a heroic character. In fact, apparently she's the villain of that book. So she does so in a less altruistic way, and... This leads into a fantasy of Arthur imagining that he's a spy encoding. He's like he's like Alan Turing in the imitation game, uh, except he's doing stuff with knitting instead of with uh, old computers. But, you know, A Tale of Two Cities takes place during the French Revolution. So I, the Madame Defarge connection is really a strange one to make, I guess. But I, I, I guess there aren't any other historical figures that are, like, known for their knitting. Uh, yeah, I, and I also think that, like, it makes sense that that was a literary character who was doing that because when they br- brought out this fact, I was like, is this true? Was someone actually sending code messages and knitting? Uh, and so I'm glad you looked that up. Uh, all this stuff in the imagination sequence where Arthur is a spy, again, extra tickled me because I've been watching Spy Family. And I'm like, all this fake right, yeah. kind of uh, um, East Germany stuff uh, is, is top of mind for me. So uh, I thought this was, was a kind of a fun segment. Everybody's in their their waistcoats and their um, uh, kind of like spy gear. Yeah, their trench coats, and then Buster is wearing like a a garishly knitted hat, as so as quote unquote not to draw attention to himself. Oh, we also get a cameo from El Boomerang okay, yes, in this imagination, where where Buster kicks El Boomerang and accidentally kicks it into Binky. So very bad as a spy in Arthur's imagination. So that keeps going. Um, so Arthur does express an interest. He like he spends all day knitting. So Grandma Thora decides to encourage him and get him his own yarn and needles. And we go to the the yarn yurt is the name of this, <laughs> which, good name. It is a yurt, too, on the inside. And who do we see there but Dr. Fugue? It's another Dr. Fugue cameo. Really glad to see him again. He's, he's, um, uh, he's established to be someone who knits. And uh, he even has uh, opinions on the colors of yarns because Arthur is uh picks up a, a yarn and he says it's pink and dr fugue says that's not pink it's fuchsia pink is simple like a sea shanty fuchsia is an oboe concerto with hints of atonality great stuff i love this character I'm so glad we're using him more and that we use him even more later on in this ep- in this episode so of course, you have Arthur and knitting, and the whole the whole episode is Arthur being embarrassed to admit that he likes knitting. Are we? This is a, are we done with this? Like yeah. this is this is so old hat by now. The whole thing of like it used to be that Arthur doesn't want people to think he's a baby, but now it's like Arthur doesn't want to be embarrassed. Now the reason he gives. Is that you know? First, he's like he doesn't want to knit because he thinks it might be boring, and then the kind of implicit, explicit thing here is that he feels that like knitting is for girls. Which, if I were to put that a little further, I think that in a like if this wasn't if this was a show for a little bit of an older audience, I feel like Arthur would be afraid that people would think he's gay mm-hmm. because he knits. But it's but it is like I think it is just he doesn't want people to think he's a girl or really think less of him. And I'm just like, man, this is such a this is such a rote Arthur Arthur story to have now. It's just we've done this so many times in all of its permutations, it feels like. Exactly. Not just with the Arthur character um, that I had the exact same note, which was that 
we've had this exact storyline twice with Binky. First, Binky was embarrassed right. about ballet. Uh, and, and almost the exact same kind of dynamic, too, right? Like ballet, a traditionally feminine activity, though I'll have you know that Jason Statham does ballet. Um, yeah. But uh, ballet, you know, uh, he was scared that people would make fun of him because it's it's feminine. Um, exact same thing as Arthur with knitting. Um, but then we also had this episode again with Binky hiding that he liked reading. Remember that? When he was, like, reading and he didn't want people to know? Yes. Yeah. Um, so that was, I, a running, that was a running joke. I agree with you that uh, I feel like this is well-worn territory. And it, at this point, it just feels old. And it also feels like of the permutations of this kind of story, this one is is the least original of an angle. Like, it's just kind of like he's embarrassed yeah. by knitting. Uh, and then everybody is like, "Oh, actually, knitting's pretty cool." Uh, and then he accepts himself, and there's not really any twists or turns along that journey. Yeah. Uh, by the way, apologies for any background noise. I have to keep my window open because it's so it's so friggin' close in my apartment. It's so warm. I just need air coming from somewhere. So apologies if the audio has any background noise in it. Uh, Binky is outside of the yarn yurt, and this is where we get the first thing of, like, Arthur trying to cover it up, uh, that, you know, he's, he, he doesn't say that he's knitting, but he says he's using needles to send secret messages. There's this cool shot, actually, where Arthur is walking away from Binky, and we rack focus yes. from, like, Binky to Arthur. Like, did you notice that? I yeah, thought that was I really cool. Yeah, I did notice cool. that. That's one of two very cinematic moments in this episode. There's another one mm. where Arthur's knitting in the bathroom, and he drops his uh, ball of yarn. And then there's this really crazy shot that's from under the door looking up at Binky. Um, yeah. I, I don't know what that angle's called, but it's very cinematic. Where like Binky almost looks warped because we're looking up at him, so his like feet are really big and his head's really small. Um, so good, for lack of a better term, uh, cinematography. I guess storyboarding. I guess would be the term in animation. Yeah. But, uh, uh, yeah. Some... Yeah. You know, we've had some com- complaints about the animation um, in these these season fourteen episodes, but I'll say that the uh, actual like art designer the framing uh in this episode in particular was standout yeah it's really good to see that the ambition of the animators and the directors and the artists uh is is still is still there like is you know arthur has had some really ambitious and interesting uh cinematography for lack of a better word from the very beginning and it's really cool to see it's still there um what I find interesting is that, so Arthur tells Buster about knitting and presumably teaches him how to do it. Buster adopts knitting without shame. Like, they are knitting outside because Arthur doesn't want to see anybody, doesn't want anybody to see him knit. And then Buster's like, "What? who cares? Like, like we have to go inside. Who cares if anybody sees you? So it's really cool right away that Arthur, it, this is all, of course, Arthur is a textbook case of capital A anxiety. So this is, uh, this is your non-anxious friend telling you that you're overthinking things, which I have a couple of those, and I need though, I need them. So yeah, this is really at the front of Arthur's mind. In fact, so much that there is a presentation that Mr. Ratburn gives about um, the colonial era of America, when you could be potentially outed for doing something that people thought was unfavorable or suspicious. And that leads into a dream that Arthur has, and this is an Arthur meme alert here, because... This scene of Arthur, and it's, they're in colonial garb again. This is something they go back to, not all the time, but every once in a while, we get like a colonial 
um, flashback or dream sequence. And Arthur, it's almost like the Scarlet Letter or something. Arthur is being outed, so to speak, as somebody who knits. But what they say is they put like a capital K on his on his garments, much like the, the Scarlet Letter. And they call him, they use the term K-N-I-T-T-E-R. And That's you right. can find this on YouTube. You Like, every once in a while, you see it on social media and just like, can you believe Arthur went there? And it's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe they should have thought about that and how that would sound. It, it does sound a little strange, I will say. It does. Uh, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's awkward. It's like, obviously, there's nothing strange about the phrase, a knitter, one who knits. Um, yes. But That's what the, we're saying. But when it, it does sound a little strange when it's uh, yelled at someone in an accusatory, like, I feel like this is the only instance I've ever seen of um, a, someone yelling at someone, he is a knitter, he, he, and then yes. they all start saying knitter, knitter. Um, and so it's, it's the framing <laughs> that makes it weird. Uh, and so that's yeah. why, of course, it's been a clip that people take out of context. Um, I think, I don't know. Uh, maybe the Arthur writers' minds are so innocent that um, <laughs> they never even conceived that someone would take this out of context, or they never—they're—they're they're such nice people that it would never even occur to them that that word sounds like maybe a a, a really terrible other word. Uh, I don't know. It—it's it, kind of a shame too, because it is a funny moment. Um, I like the idea sure, of yeah. like Arthur being. It's like he's getting put to death, or there's going to be publicly <laughs> scolded. Like it's the crucible yeah, he, or something. He's, he, it almost looks like he's at a hanging post or something. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty intense punishment for uh, being someone who knits. Um, but yes, it, it. you can look up the clip for yourself if you want to see why there's much ado about this Arthur segment. Yeah. Um, Arthur, still trying to keep it under wraps. Uh, Mrs. McGrady, uh, Grandma Thor apparently told Mrs. McGrady, and she tries to talk to him about it. Uh, in the lunch line, and she unveils a knitting project she has called Tyrannosaurus Eggplant, which I thought looked pretty cool. And I should mention, all the while, uh, Arthur has this knitting project that he's doing. He's trying to knit a scarf. So while he's at lunch, the scarf escapes from his bag by accident, and uh, the brain uncovers it. And like nobody nobody is necessarily making making fun of him right away. And so... We it's it's in fact it's a little weird. Like Arthur is the, he denies it like outwardly and loudly to Mrs. McGrady, but then when he's dead to rights, he turns around. He's just like, yeah, you know what? I do knit. So like, so there. And it's like nobody was like nobody in that vicinity in that shot really had any strong feelings about it. It's only when he leaves to go outside, and Binky and the tough customers initially laugh at him. Again, Binky kind of using. You know, he's not calling him a girl, but he's, like, referring to him by a girl version of his name and kind of being, like, prancy. It's weird that Binky is the one to do this, but, like, well, I, know. I guess we needed somebody. Okay, before we move on from the Mrs. McGrady scene, I know we're going a little yeah, bit yeah. long-winded this week. I just stumbled across a crazy Easter egg in this episode. If you go to 1035 um, and pause it right when Arthur is looking at Francine while Mrs. McGrady is, like, uh, talking about knitting, if you look at... Uh, Francine's egg cart or milk carton. 
Um, there seems to be, like, a photo of some guy, and it's not, like, animated. It's just, like, a picture of a guy, like, not an Arthur character or anything, uh, as, like, missing on the, on the carton. I can't believe I've caught this. I just noticed this now. I don't know if this is, like, someone on the staff, like, one of the writers or animators or something, but it's literally just, like, a, a not animated fic photo of, like, some dude. Really? I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip to this as we, as we talk about it. Um... Yeah, so Binky is the one, and the tough customers kind of join in in laughing. Oh, you're right. It is a real dude. <laughs> oh, man. That is, oh, okay. What is that? Mm. Like, it's kind of, yeah, I was like, is this torrent edited? Like, what, what's up with that guy? That's just a JPEG of a man. It's, it's what, like a human, a human man. Man, that is, good eye, Lucas. I totally missed, like, it's, your eye isn't drawn towards it. It's, ah, it's, that, that shouldn't be. Um, but who interrupts the tough customers' bullying but Dr. Fugue with a flash of lightning? Uh, Dr. Fugue comes in and to kind of save Arthur in a sense. Um, but he is very complimentary of Arthur's multicolored scarf that also uh, Muffy was very complimentary of as well. Like every like again, Arthur faced except for the tough customers, like nobody else was making fun of Arthur for this. This was entirely in his head as usual. Um, and he invites Arthur to his knitting club, his knitting club, which is Dr. Fugue, Mrs. McGrady, Oliver Frensky, and Rattles from the Tough Customers. So we, we get that, we get that kind of like, again, it, it, it feels a little limp of just like, oh, it turns out the tough guy likes the, likes the girly thing. So it's like, and Dr. Fugue says that like knitting is not for, he has a line that's like knitting isn't just for boys and for girls. And I was like. Hell yeah, Dr. Fugue resents the gender binary. But is this like, he says that, and then he also makes fun of Binky for doing ballet. And it feels like we're trying to have it both ways. And I didn't really appreciate it. And I, at I the was very glad end, he at least like, brought up Binky being in ballet, though. True, I was true. thinking the same thing as you, of like, it's really weird to have Binky be the one that's going the hardest in Arthur. Because it's like, Binky, you were in this exact situation. And also now, at this point, everybody knows you do ballet, right? So it's yeah. just weird. I'm like, is no one acknowledging that, like... Why is Binky, of all people, uh, going the hardest <laughs> at Arthur for this? Yeah, seriously. And at the end of the episode, Binky is getting interested in knitting as well, as Arthur is more open about his interest. We mentioned it before, but now a word from us kids. And now a word from us kids! It's real kids uh, who are also into knitting. They're, uh, it's a brother and a sister, I believe. They are knitting bracelets and a hacky sack. So hacky sacks, still a thing in like 2010. <laughs> of course, okay. Will. Do you didn't have uh, kids who had already graduated from your high school showing up to your high school to sell kids cigarettes and play hacky sack with them at lunch? Because I sure Ugh. did. Oh, gross. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's just about how much these kids like knitting and how and all that sort of thing. Yeah, all cool. You can see them do go through the process, talk about how it's relaxing and all this kind of thing. I just want to say, I forget which one. One of these kids really needs to blow their nose. <laughs> they sound they sound very stuffed up, and uh, that's all I'll say about that. We will get into the second half of this particular Arthur episode right after this. 
Hey everybody, it's Lucas from the Elwood City Limits podcast, and if you love ECL, there's a couple of ways to keep up with us. You can go to facebook.com slash elwoodcitylimits, at ECL podcast, that's our Twitter. We take questions on Tumblr, it's elwoodcitylimits.tumblr.com. There is an Instagram as well, Elwood City Limits on Instagram. Of course, if you want to donate to the show and get exclusive content, whether that's our full-length commentary of the Arthur movies, our brand new... Uh, bi-weekly PBS Kids Review Show, as well as our video game movie reviews with the Sonic movie review and Pikachu movie review. You can check out patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. Uh, and that's also going to get you access to the Elwood City Limits Discord, which me and Will like to post it from time to time. And if you want that sweet, sweet Elwood City Limits merch, check out teespring.com slash stores slash Elwood hyphen city hyphen limits hyphen store. You you can listen to the podcast at libsyn.com slash Elwood City Limits, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and there's other podcast apps like Stitcher. And if we're not on your favorite app, let us know. And where can you let us know? Well, that's going to be at ElwoodCityLimits at gmail.com. That's also where you could send us a question and we'll read it on the show. Finally, if you want to support the podcast, the best way to do so is to tell a friend who likes animation or Arthur or just podcasts in general and to go to our iTunes page and rate us out of five stars. Apparently, that helps podcasts out. Bye, everybody. This one is all the rage, and it's a Muffy episode. So we, <laughs> the cold open is Muffy's House of Fashion Horrors, which the cold open rarely adheres to reality, so I'm not taking this seriously. But I love the implication that Muffy bought a whole haunted house to just dunk on her friend's clothes. Because <laughs> the exhibits in the haunted house are just like, it's like, look at this hideous outfit, and it's just Arthur, and he's like, what's wrong with what I wear? Or like the one time Francine wore an ugly dress, and it's just like, man, Muffy, uh, this, is, this is an exorbitant way to just diss mm. your friends. But it's in It's a fairness, lot of money to say, what are those? <laughs> the Muffy, Muffy's house of what are those? Um, and then, but she's also making, uh, well, this isn't, she says it's not supposed to be part of the house of horrors, but her own fashion faux pas is on display, which we will get filled in as the episode goes on. This episode was full of surprises in a couple of ways. For example, Muffy is way into a show that is hosted by a woman named Candy Coco, but featuring returning Capri DeVapita. Yes, the the Paris Hilton stand-in of the Arthur right. universe. I I don't know if you were on the first episode that she was in. This was a couple of episodes ago. That might have been me and Peebs. But she has she has uh, appeared before. So like the name Capri DeVapita is one hundred percent just like a a Paris Hilton joke. And as me and as Peebs and I talked about in that episode, two thousand ten, it's kind of lazy and it doesn't hold up great no it's just like uh it's a little it's a little too easy honestly it, it speaks to the era of people being like i'm gonna go see house of wax because i can't wait for paris hilton to die like there was a real Ugh. kind of uh a mean streak uh towards yeah. the female celebrities in the early 2000s uh and this is kind of the it's like she's she's uh 
and some people are, are not doing it in bad faith or whatever. What is she famous for? She's she's rich and famous for being rich and famous or whatever. Uh, but I agree that it's it's got the trappings of, let's say, a lazy late-night talk show host. Yeah, and especially when it's like the whole thing with Capri DeVapita is she's saying that's warm. And it's like, get it? Because Paris Hilton said that's hot. I'm just like, come on, guys. Like... I think we could do a little bit better than this. I will say they do do good stuff with That's Warm. Uh, when Capri DeVavita goes, being cool is warm. <laughs> um, so Muffy is inspired to throw out a lot of her old outfits because they're not warm. I will say also, they are doing this show in the canals of Venice, and El Boomerang floats by. So again, there goes El Boomerang. Follow up to that at a later date. Muffy donates her old clothes to again another return care to wear which is the um which is the used clothing store owned by Buzz Valette who was at a time I believe throwaway character of the week so how no could longer... he not be Lucas Lucas have you looked at the man I know I was it's it's he really is Arthur's first quote unquote hipster character what is he going to get a, <laughs> a coffee and wear some skinny jeans and listen to the Fleet Foxes <laughs> I mean look at this guy uh, get some micro brews. Uh, no. Uh, I'm glad that he's not a throwaway character. You know, it's characters like these. I remember the first time we saw him, um, we were like, oh, this is like a standout kind of interesting character design. And it's always those types of characters that I, I'm glad keep showing up. Um, even in these late seasons, I like it when they introduce new people and, and then keep them coming back. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Buzz is there. He's very happy to receive Muffy's old clothes. And Muffy notices some clothes, that, some fashion that she's never seen before, and Buzz teaches her about fads. So she sees, like, poodle skirts or toe socks, which I had a pair of toe socks. I almost didn't realize they were a fad, but, yeah, I, I guess so. You don't, really see, you don't really see people proudly proclaiming that they own toe socks anymore. Muffy is interested in creating her own fad. She has a little interaction here with Sue Ellen. She's dropping off this, like, I, I, I describe it as, like, it's like a hat... It's like an open-faced balaclava, almost? So these, it's, um, it's funny, this episode of Arthur's really prescient. Uh, I'll get into why exactly later on, but these are a real thing. Um, I've seen them described as like a knit hood. Like, it's just a hood um, that's detachable. Um, and I'll, I'll hmm. get why, I'll get into why I'm familiar with them a little bit later on in the episode. So Muffy's getting rid of it because she thinks it isn't warm, and Sue Ellen likes it. She says, I like it. And then Muffy says, of course you like it. I'm just like, screw you, Muffy. <laughs> That's so mean. Um, yeah, so Muffy's trying to create her own fads, uh, things that'll catch on. She accidentally invents belts first, which I thought was funny. <laughs> yes, uh, Bailey goes, I believe it's called a belt, Miss Muffy. Uh, Bailey kind of giving the, the Travis Scott line, you know, Muffy asking, would this held up my pants? And she, Bailey going, belt. Belt. <laughs> Um, so we get a little string here of the fads that Muffy tries to keep going. The first one is ankle pouches, which is like a, which is like a coin purse that goes around your ankle like an ankle weight. These are kind of cool. I I feel like they're kind of tech wear or gorp core, you know, like dudes who are into <laughs> buying all the most expensive like Arteryx and um, Solomon shoes and all that crazy stuff, you know, the North Face Supreme collab, and they want as many zippers and Velcro pockets as possible. I can see them uh, pulling off the ankle pouches. Also, did you notice that Bailey invents Crocs? 
I was wondering, like, I didn't exactly hear what he was talking about. So He's I like, knew that he was saying colorful so- shoes with holes on the top. And he was like, docs, mocks. Oh, and then that's it. Muffy interrupts him. And again, it's funny how cyclical fashion is. Like, it literally is on just a 10 year loop um, because this would be at the point where clock Crocs were brand new and then they became deeply, deeply uncool. And yes. we are now full circle where people like Crocs again. So it's just, it's all you had to do yeah. is wait 10 years. And this episode of Arthur is like oddly prescient. That's been a weird, that's been a weird one to live through. Um, yeah. So the ankle pouches are from Muffy's coins. They like burst as soon as she like trips on them. Binky straight up robs her. Like just <laughs> all the, all the coins spill on the ground. He just makes off with them. Like, okay. Uh, Muffy invents the snacko scarf, which is basically a giant fruit by the foot in scarf form. <laughs> this and is the worst the idea. <laughs> the flavors are sassy saffron, classy cranberry, and elegant edamame, to which Buster says, that's the best tasting scarf I've ever owned. Um, I actually thought this was kind of an okay idea, especially it, it just kind of looks like giant bubble tape almost or giant <sighs> fruit by the foot. But what's also <laughs> funny is that like Muffy keeps wearing this throughout the episode. And every time you see her, like she hasn't, she doesn't really eat it very much. So there's just flies buzzing around her all the time. Yeah. This would be so uh, gross. She, if, if, if she's like, has it over her clothes. So I just think about like all the fuzzies and hair that would like stick to it. Ugh. And yeah, there's like flies <laughs> gathering around her. Like it's, ugh. I don't like the edible scarf. I like it to eat, not to wear. Um, the opposite of leggings, armings, which Muffy can't move her arms when she has them on. <laughs> she um, she tries to uh, she tries to bring the monocle back. So old, it's new. I got a I got a genuine laugh out of Muffy just walking straight into a locker with the monocle on. That was really funny. The last one that she's like kind of working on but doesn't see through past the illustration phase is designer antlers. As she also finds out that everybody so Sue Ellen started wearing the the They call hat, it an ear flap hat bag, is what they ear call it. Flap, in the show. Okay. Okay. She starts wearing that and then more kids start wearing it because they just like how it looks and Muffy is completely behind. She does she doesn't understand why people why people think this is interesting. They, they don't get it at all. Um, <laughs> there's, um, you know, as Muffy goes back to the Capri de Vapida show, um, there's a, like Muffy is watching it so intently after she has this head injury with the monocle. And there's a great shot of her like watching the TV with her eyes wide open. And she just was like wordlessly nodding to like <laughs> Capri de Vapida's like, you have to get inspiration from the world around you. You just have to you have to use your eyes to look at things. And Muffy's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. It's, it, I, I, again, very funny. So, yeah, Sue Ellen's headwear becomes more popular. Um, and eventually, Muffy can't keep up. There's, she's, like, running herself ragged, trying to, like, get something to catch on. And she's jealous of Sue Ellen. At one point, she says, can't you stick to being a world-traveling do-gooder? <laughs> and this 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 led to my biggest laugh of the episode. Like really. Like there so between scenes, between Muffy saying that and the next scene, she admits defeat. She goes to Sue Ellen's place. She's wearing like head to toe gray sweats. And <laughs> M- Sue Ellen opens the door and Muffy just looks like she's seen a ghost. She looks like she's been up for 3 days and she just 
puts on her own headwear and the drawing of her like they they put so many lines under her eyes to make her look tired and she just haggardly and defeatedly puts it on is like there now i've got one too except it's cashmere and it's better (laughs) i i laughed huge i thought that was really funny just the drawing of how muffy looks when she shows up at sue ellen's house was enough to get me laughing i really liked it this is iconic now this is the visage of punished muffy and by the way, hot take, <laughs> hot take. Yeah. <laughs> this is her best outfit of the episode. I think that the gray sweat, if you had a gray sweatsuit and you put one of these knit heads on, like I could see Kanye rocking that. Like it's kind of avant-garde. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is as good as time as any. So these knit hoods, it's so funny. This is 10 years before uh, uh, or, or over 10 years before last winter, but people were wearing these last winter, Will. Like, really? It, it became a big thing that, like, people who knew how to knit, it's funny, it's kind of a combining uh, theme of both these episodes. People who knew how to knit were knitting, like, these kind of uh, pastel-colored um, detachable hoods, um, yeah. and, like, it became a big thing on, like, Instagram and stuff. It was, like, in the winter, people were wearing them to keep their head warm. So you would wear a whole outfit, and then you'd put on, like, a great bright green... Uh, hood that looks just like these ones in the show kind of over um, over your head, even though it wasn't attached to your clothing. And so this was like a full-on trend this last winter. Um, it predicted by Arthur. Uh, do, do you have a name? Do you have a name for this? I want to see like the real world equivalent. Yeah, I, again, I just called it knit a, a knit hood. Let's see what that brings up on uh, on Google Images. Because it, it's really hard to describe just looking at it. It's like it's awfully strange. Um, but yeah, but yeah, yeah. If, you, if you look up on a knit hood, uh, on, on Google images, it's exactly what I'm talking about. Season balaclava, uh, knit balaclava. Um, okay. So, oh, okay. So, okay. I wasn't too far off in balaclava. It just doesn't like fit around your face like they normally do. Exactly. Exactly. And this was like a thing people were wearing last summer, huh. last winter rather. This is, this is exactly it. That is so weird. My girlfriend has a Man. pink one. <laughs> Oh my god, that's so weird. It's like exactly the same thing. Man, Arthur just ahead of its time. Um so yeah, Muffy Muffy sits down with Sue Ellen and she admits that she can't come up with with any kind of fad. But Sue Ellen shows a picture that she took of Muffy wearing this um knit hood before in the winter time and Sue Ellen actually really admired that she did that. She coins the term she muffied it up, which is to make something look even more classy just by wearing it. So a very nice thing for Sue Ellen to do. Uh, Muffy feel Muffy feels better hearing that. And the end of the episode is Muffy watching Capri Devapita and deciding to not listen to her anymore because <laughs> I mean to make it to make it especially like she says earlier in the episode that she ta- that Capri Devapita takes like inspiration from her dog. So in the final scene of the show. She's eating dog biscuits uh, and thinking like, uh, you know, her line is dog biscuits are very warm, but they should be made in different flavors like yellow. And so just like, I think she might have a bit of like a concussion or something. (laughs) Uh, And then Muffy's like, yeah, I'm not listening to this anymore. And uh, Bailey, Bailey says we see Bailey wearing a sharp red tie, and he says, I just wanted to muffy it up a little, Miss Muffy, and uh, that makes her very happy. So, yeah, <laughs> I'll be interested to talk about that. But uh, first, let's talk about Arthur Unravels. Wait, um, did, you, did you not get Mark Brown's hmm? daily routine? 
Oh yeah, I just I, I I we we talked about it once, and it's just like at the end of these episodes are just Mark Brown. Um, so usually it's Mark Brown demonstrating. I think in the last episode it was like drawing baby Kate. What did he do this time? This time he told us what he does every day, which is eat a bowl of oatmeal with bananas, go for a walk, or no, he goes for the walk first, then he has his breakfast, and then he just starts doodling. I get, okay, then I, I, I need to start watching this again. I figured they were just his drawing tutorials, which it's like, it, they're good, but like once you've seen them once, you've kind of no, seen all of them. This one was like so, a day in the life of Mark Brown, but not the full day, just literally his morning. <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll, I'll check out the next one, I promise. Okay, Arthur Unravels. How did this one strike you, Lucas? I didn't really like this episode. There's nothing, mm. you know... It, the jokes that they make are funny in it. Um, I like the imagination sequence, like the opening. Um, I even, in a way, you know, the word choice is a little bit suspect, but I even like the, the pilgrim imagination sequence as well. Um, and the one where he's like a spy. Like, I like all those stuff, but the overarching air narrative to this episode, I think, is totally uh, well-worn territory. We've seen it a million times before in Arthur. And I think of all the kind of times we've seen it, this is the least interesting and the most obvious. And it really gets into kind of after school special territory, which is not a territory I usually find Arthur in, despite being a show that would be on after school. But you know what I mean? It's it's really earnest and kind of hitting you over the head with the, the moral of it. And so all those things led, led me to... And, and this season's been so good, in my opinion, up to this point. Like in any other season this would kind of just be a middling episode but i feel like in a great mm. season like this this one stands out as like kind of one of my least favorites yeah i didn't really care for this one either what i will say is that i liked that it was about knitting like it's such a like knitting is such an old hobby that it's just like i i don't i don't know if i ever thought of it as a girly thing but it is it's like it's a grandma thing like mm. i you know it's just something that you don't expect to get a lot of focus but they really went for it and then they found kids in the word from us kids that are like interested in knitting so like cool and like hey knitting is one of is something that has been around for god knows how long certainly not me um but it will continue to be around and people will continue to knit you know pieces of clothing and just cool stuff and you know might as well highlight it for kids and show that it can actually be fun or calming or just cool to work on a project but yeah, it's just well-worn territory at this point. It's just like and 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 also as we mentioned, there's some really good like it's a good-looking episode in terms of the way that it's laid out. Um but yeah, and 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 also Dr. Fugue. So it's like the the parts don't add up to what I would call like a, a really good episode. Again, it's just like Arthur is anxious about being perceived as this. It's like it's season 14, man. <laughs> Not only have they done this, they've done it way better. So like I don't know. As as we said, it's just it didn't really. I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's a bad episode. It's one of the lesser episodes of this season. I would say, but like I like if I think about it, probably around the world in eleven minutes. I didn't like more than this, but it's also just like this doesn't do very much for me anymore because again, this is like I feel like we do this if we do this once a season, then we've done it more than ten times at this point. So. Yeah, uh, find find a new song. This one's getting old. However, um, all the rage, I liked it. 
I liked it quite a bit, actually. It's it's still a little bit of a surprise because sometimes you get a Muffy episode and it's like, yeah, you know, Muffy is, can be very hit and miss. But this was very funny. Like, I was surprised at how much I laughed at it. It's, you know, it's it's almost this could almost be something that we have done before with Muffy. Of like, she's trying to keep up on trends and she's trying to trying to clout chase and all this kind of stuff. Uh, in the in the modern parlance, but the way that they make Muffy look foolish in this episode, and it's like Muffy almost never has the high ground. She's always chasing after the fad. She looks very desperate and um and uncool. And in doing that, it actually endears you to her a little bit more and makes the humor a lot better. So by bringing her low, and, and I think that's what good Muffy episodes do is that they, it, it, when she is the focus, is that they kind of give her a goal or they give her like uh adversity to overcome and in this case it's her own like adherence to fads and her own um uh what's what's the word how susceptible she is to them and i think they do a really good job and it's like a a decent message and everything but just like the items of clothing her inventions again like secretly saying that like muffy is really good at thinking of ideas and getting them done she's very industrious but they're just bad ideas uh, because she's eight years old. Um, and and it was just, it was funny. It was engaging. Like, I liked it. And so I can't ask for much more from a Muffy episode. Uh, I agree with you, Will. I also loved all the rage. And also it really surprised me. And, you know, talking about the first episode of Arthur Unravels and how the moral kind of lacked nuance, this is the inverse where I was expecting this episode to just basically be oh, like, you know, fashion's very shallow and frivolous and Muffy's silly for caring about it and always chasing these trends. But it actually um, has a different moral, which is that fashion isn't necessarily inherently wrong, but true fashion isn't just following the trends. It's doing what you like and doing it with style, right? That's kind of the conclusion it comes on is that um, Sue Ellen ended up leading the trends because she was doing something because she liked it and she she thought it looked aesthetically cool on her and then everybody saw her wear that uh, cap with ho- uh, confidence and, and followed the trend. Similarly, at the end, we get the little section where um, Sue Ellen is kind of complimenting that Muffy does things simple, but she kind of classes it up a little bit. You know, it's so Muffy. Um, she muffies it up. Um, and that kind of inspired her. And, and furthermore, kind of Bailey does that too, where he starts to care about fashion a little bit more. And he's like, you know, I put on my best red tie just because I'm trying to look good. So right. I, I really liked that that was the conclusion it left on it, that it's okay to care about what you wear and, and kind of try to put yourself out there fashion-wise. But you should be doing it for the right reasons because you like the way it makes you feel and not because you're just trying to look like everyone else or you're just trying to follow the latest trend. And the other thing I really liked about this episode, it, you know, it's not perfect, you know, the Capri David, uh, the the Paris Hilton stand-in is a very dated kind of joke. Uh, but besides that, you're right; it's a really funny episode throughout. I liked all the Muffy inventions. Uh, I think it's kind of crazy that it, it predicted this real-world fashion trend. But my favorite, favorite part of this episode is the final meeting with Sue Ellen and Muffy when Muffy's all defeated and she's at her lowest. And I had not put it together that like everybody was wearing that thing that Muffy threw away, and in the end. You know, Muffy's been searching to be a trendsetter this whole time, and in the end, she inspired Sue Ellen. That was the person that she had set the trend with in the first place, right? She was yeah, lamenting yeah. the fact that she wasn't a trendsetter, and it was like, oh, all along, you know, Ma- uh, Sue Ellen was inspired by Muffy's swag. 
Um, and I just thought it was such a cute moment. It's one of those Arthur moments where, like, I literally wanted to v- verbally say, aw. Like, uh, I-, I love um, in stories when the-, the-, the main character fails, but they inspire, you know, another character s- to succeed. So this was one of my favorite endings of the season thus far. I loved that little interaction at the end. And so overall, I, I really enjoyed the episode. Yeah, and um, and Muffy doesn't get a lot of those kind of you know cute or wholesome moments a lot, so really good to see. Well, that's going to do it for Elwood City Limits. This one was a bit longer, but there's a lot to talk about, and there's a lot to talk about with you guys as well, so thank you very much for listening. Um, if you're a patron, coming up next week, in case you're not aware, with For the Kids of PBS Kids podcast, Lucas's pick is that we're going to go back to Puppet Country, and I believe this also might be a Canadian production. We'll have to find out as we visit Whimsy's house. Uh, I'm, I'm really interested to take a look back at this because I'm pretty sure there is an Arthur connection uh, at least in the voice cast, if not more so in the production. So stay tuned. We're going to be talking about Whimsy's House if you're signed up at patreon.com slash Elwood City Limits. And then on the next episode of Elwood City Limits in two weeks, we're going to be looking at, I believe this is a double DW episode. So sorry to uh, Darkness Slayer X. Uh, we're going to be talking about DW Queen of the Comeback and In My Africa, which actually we I have kind of, covered already there is an ecl flash forward episode that i did a couple of years ago with a lovely person named kara oliver uh who's a great author check out her books on amazon.com and we talked about in my africa it was a great uh, i i like i really liked the conversation that we had together and we talked about it from the perspective of kara is black and so we were talking about a lot of what that means and how the episode comes across. So if you'd like to listen to that again, I would encourage you to do so because Lucas and I, Lucas, you're going to be looking at this with fresh eyes. I'll be looking at it again. And uh, yeah, we're going to, we're going to see what we think of it as we begin to wrap up season 14. We've only got like one other episode after this one. So uh, this, uh, this summer, we're going to be heading up to a new Arthur season. So keep it right here. Thanks again for listening to Elwood City Limits. We will be back with you. Remember, vote.thecoast.ca to nominate us for best podcast. Please and thank you. My name is Will Young, and for Lucas Mancini. Since when do you need a live-in dog walker slash yoga instructor? We'll see you next time.